You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Pulse, respiration, blood pressure and temperature are the four traditional vital signs. Pain is now the fifth. Do you know the sixth? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and with me today is Dr. Barry K. Baines. Dr. Baines practices family medicine, is the Chief Medical Officer for UCARE Minnesota, and Associate Medical Director of Hospice of the Twin Cities. Dr. Baines, welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. Oh, thank you, Susan. It's a pleasure to be a guest. What is the sixth vital sign? Well, I make the case that suffering should be the sixth vital sign. During the course of our conversation, I think I can help to explain why that is. Um, as you mentioned earlier in the show, all, all of us physicians are, and other clinicians are very familiar with the four usual vital signs. Uh, pain has become uh, recognized as the fifth vital sign. And through some work that I've done in uh, hospice and palliative care over the past 10 years, I think I can make a good case that uh, the importance of asking about suffering um, is uh, very critical and should be considered a sixth vital sign. And describe the difference between pain and suffering. Okay. Uh, although there is a fairly complicated definition of, of pain, or at least a fairly standard, uh, which is an unpleasant sensory and emotional experience associated with actual or, or potential tissue damage, or described in terms of such damage, a more common definition I think most clinicians go with is that pain is whatever the experiencing person says it is and exists whenever uh, he or she says it does. And Margot McCaffrey was the, that quote is taken from her. Uh, when we think about suffering, uh, Eric Cassell, who wrote a, a very interesting book called The Nature of Suffering and the Goals of Medicine, uh, stated that suffering is a form of severe distress that's associated with events that threaten the intactness of a person as a complex social and psychological entity. Although that's a good definition, I find it a little bit hard to access, and I prefer uh, one that, uh, I'll say it's by Author Anonymous, that suffering is whatever the experiencing person says it is, existing whenever they say it does. And uh, suffering in and of itself is fairly ubiquitous. I don't think there's a, a person around uh, who has never experienced suffering. It's, it's just part of the human condition. And from a healthcare perspective, uh, our obligation as healthcare providers is to relieve human suffering. And very little attention has been given to this area either in healthcare education, research, or practice. And it's also important to realize that suffering really can occur not only during the course of a disease, but also as a result of, of its treatment. And why so little attention? Um, I think part of it is that most of the time we tend to hear about uh, this larger word, which is called pain and suffering, all kind of lumped together. And uh, very little attention has been spent on actually uh, teasing it out, that there is a distinct difference between pain and, and suffering. And part of it is that we've just never looked uh, at differences in the kind of suffering that people experience. And that's one of the things I was involved in a project uh, about 10 years ago with the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. Uh, it was an end-of-life improvement collaborative that was actually a national uh, project. And uh, we developed a tool in, in our hospice program for assessing suffering. And it was uh, based on a very uh, a familiar tool that we use in, in assessing pain where a patient will rate their pain on a 0 to 10 scale where 0 is no pain at all and 10 is the most intense pain imaginable. Uh, we used a similar scale for suffering, only instead of having it be more global, just saying 
you know, how much suffering you are you having, we actually broke it up into physical suffering, spiritual suffering, and uh, another category that we labeled personal and family suffering, which included additional areas like loss of enjoyment of life, concern for your loved ones, unfinished business, and fear of the future. And in using this tool, just asking the person about their suffering, um, we found that uh, actually almost 100% of, of people experience some kind of suffering uh, independent of whether they were having pain or not. So it was clear that, that our patients uh, clearly saw the difference between pain and suffering as being distinct entities. And it was pretty amazing to find people that had significant amounts of pain and didn't report any suffering, and other people who had very little uh, you know, suffering or very little pain and had a lot of a lot of suffering. And if I could uh, maybe just uh, share a story that that really hit home for me with a patient that I took care of a number of years ago. Um it was a young man who was in his 20s and he had a condition called osteosarcoma which is a kind of a bone cancer that actually can be successfully treated with surgery if diagnosed early enough. And this gentleman uh, did have this osteosarcoma. He needed to have his leg amputated as a result. Um, but for all intents and purposes, he was cured of his cancer. And yet he was suffering uh, tremendously as a result of this treatment. And, you know, if the, we have a, you know, an audience, I would say, well, why do you think that is? And it had to do with one of his uh, evocations. He was an avid runner. And this uh, amputation actually took away a part of his life, at least at that stage in his life. Um, and that caused more suffering than the fact that he had cancer. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Susan Dolan, your host, and joining me today is Dr. Barry K. Baines, discussing the sixth vital sign, suffering. Dr. Baines, if you don't know if someone's suffering, you really you need to ask. Is that what I hear you saying? That's exactly right, and uh, you, you need to ask the question. And what's been so amazing when we've been using this is just by virtue of asking the question, you help to relieve some of the burden of suffering. Time and again, patients are just so grateful and appreciative that we've taken the time to ask if they are having any suffering. And just by virtue of being able to share it, they're able to uh, reduce the level of suffering that they perceive that they have, even if we can't do anything about it. So, you know, one example might be someone who's suffering because they uh, because of the death of their spouse, for example. We can't bring that spouse back, but by asking about their suffering and letting the patient uh, talk about it, you know, with us, even though we don't change the situation, that sharing of the burden is actually therapeutic. And quite honestly, there's very few things that we can do in medicine where just by asking a question, you can do something that's therapeutic. And how do you ask? Well, primarily uh, is is really coming right out and and asking you know if a patient is having suffering. We developed this tool so it's actually on on a sheet that can prompt the questions. Actually, I have it right in front of me. But uh, quite honestly, what what we do is I would ask the patient on on a zero to ten scale, where zero is no suffering and ten is extreme suffering. How much are you suffering due to your symptoms? And let the patient, you know, talk about that. I might ask, how much are you suffering from spiritual distress? Again, that same zero to ten scale. And then we go into those other categories on personal or family distress, whether it be the loss of enjoyment of life, concern for loved ones, fear of the future, suffering due to unfinished business. And patients uh, very often are very open to talking about this. We've actually used this uh, where we just give it to the patient to fill out because sometimes they 
don't want to do it. I remember there was one case of uh, this gentleman, I'll, I'll just call Tony, uh, when the nurse uh, started to talk to him about uh, suffering, he said, oh, I don't want have time for this, and he kind of just grabbed the you know sheet out of her out of her hands and kind of threw it on the side. And when when she came back, uh, this was a hospice patient. When she came back to visit later in the week, he had filled it out and, and gave it back to her. And interestingly, he had uh, significant issues with suffering that, that we were then able to address. So it was uh, very rewarding for both the nurse uh, and for Tony. Is this tool available to doctors and other medical professionals? Yes, it is. And in fact, um, I could make it available by people just sending me an email, and I'd be happy to email them an electronic copy. And I'd also encourage them to uh, adapt it and, you know, refine it. Uh, in a way that would uh, fit their practice. I've had colleagues who have used this uh, in their nursing home practices, uh, working with uh, elderly and people with chronic diseases. So it's not just for people uh, at the end of life, which is the area that I tend to concentrate in. Um, And again, it's this idea that you open up these windows of communication by just asking these questions. And what is your email? The email to get me would be bbaines, that's the letter B, as a boy, the letter B again, A-I-N as in Nancy, E-S, at UCARE, that's the letter U-C-A-R-E, dot org, bbaines at UCARE.org. And if there are symptoms of suffering that you can observe, what are they? The symptoms are more what people tend to feel. Some of it might just be from their, you know, clearly from their physical symptoms, whether it be uh, nausea or vomiting, whether it be pain, which is the one that we tend to think of most commonly. Uh, but a lot more of the deeper suffering that I find comes from things uh, like the spiritual suffering, where people are asking the question, you know, why am I here? What was my life all about? Am I going to be remembered? This whole idea of transcendence and the idea of wanting to see their life as part of a bigger picture. Um, and then certainly some of the are the very real things. People are worried they're going to be a burden uh, on their family. They're not sure about what the future is going to hold. Things like that, worries about abandonment, that actually are internalized uh, in the form that people perceive it as suffering. So those are the kind of things that we that we hear. Uh, we had um, another patient who, uh, after the, uh, you know, we asked her about her suffering. At the next visit, she reported that this was the first time since her diagnosis that she was able to sleep at night because she was just struggling with these issues, and her caregivers and and physicians and nurses that worked with her were very good at asking her about all her symptoms. No one stopped, as it turned out, to ask you know, questions about suffering. And she was just so worried about what the future can hold, would hold for her, um, unfinished business that she didn't get to, and she wasn't really having a lot of symptoms. So in the process of opening this up to her, uh, she said this is the first time in three months I was able to sleep through the night. And she uh, felt was very grateful uh, uh, for opening up that line of communication. And what are some proactive strategies that you can recommend to reduce suffering? The first thing, of course, is to make sure that you're asking about it so that patients know that they can bring these issues up in addition to just having a physical symptom. So that that would be number one. Um, the other thing is to understand the strategies or or the solutions, as it were, for actually reducing suffering for patients. And very often, uh, what it is are things that we know about. If you just you know stop to think about it, it tends to be family resources. 
uh, community resources, spiritual resources, and the medical team, the doctor, the nurse in a hospice setting uh, where you know have the advantage of also having social work and chaplaincy and volunteers and bereavement folks readily available. But having those resources ready and being willing to ask the questions is the thing that, that helps the most. And then the other thing is what patients actually tell us, you know, what, what reduces suffering. And most often it's being with friends and family. It's being at home in the case of someone who might have a, a terminal illness. And also a strong reliance on, on their faith. Uh, very often those are the resources that uh, people rely on to uh, get through their suffering and to make, you know, make some meaning and make some sense out of it. Dr. Baines, thank you so much for joining us today. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. I'm Susan Dolan. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening.